live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Uh, and we've got uh, Mike Mayock saying bubble butt uh, three different times. This is the press box. Like when they're deciding to draft a player, is that what they talk about? Well, like Gruden's like, oh, he's yes. a football player. And Mayock's like, no, no, this guy's got a bubble yeah. butt. Or the best thing in the world for them would be have both. <laughs> With Grady and Bischoff. Like, you're not only a football player, but you have a bubble butt and you don't play your groin. I mean, if you can get that trifecta, then you've got something. On ESPN Las Vegas. The bubble butt, who knows what position he played, and um, and don't play your groin. If they could have that, they could, I mean, they could win the division if you have a bunch of those guys. Bunch of bubble butt football players. Yes, from Clemson. I miss the bubble butt talk. Poor Mike Mayock. I miss Mike Mayock. Well, here's the thing. He talked all about bubble butts, and then he never drafted the bubble butts. We broke no, this didn't. down. He Alex didn't. Leatherwood, absolutely no, no he's bubble got, butt. He's got like two pieces of cardboard back yeah. there, man. It's the flat, flat butt. It's the a flat, flat butt, not the bubble butt. Just like, what are you doing? A clear breakdown. That uh, Here's the thing. We've joked. It was, to, it's the best journalism Cassie Soto ever did. <laughs> <laughs> We've joked about hand sizes and quarterbacks. That's probably real. I truly believe if you just drafted the biggest bubble butt for your linemen, that's probably yeah. real too. Be better. Maybe that's what they were missing in the off season when we were kept asking what they were going to do with the offensive line. There were no bubble butts out there. Not that they, not that they signed. Oh, not man. that they went after. Well, I didn't sign anybody. Period. <laughs> let alone <laughs> bubble, bubble butt. I, I miss it too. Dancing feet yeah. with that lower body. It's unbelievable. Look at the body. Look at that bubble butt. Who's going to hire Mike Mayock to be on TV to give us those quotes again? I, I'm surprised Mike Mayock I mean, hasn't. Has he not been on TV? Have you seen him? I haven't, no. Is there also, I mean, I, it's kind of mean, but is there a point where it's like, dude, you were so bad as a GM. We don't want you on TV because you have no credibility. No, left. he's great. He's fine. I, okay. I will watch him 100% of the time. He, did you hear that sound bite you <laughs> right, just all right, played? Hold on, hold on. Dancing he's checking hips? all the boxes, Michael. Yeah, he... He really is. Look at that big bubble butt. That's that's a power generator. Those that thighs, quads, and the bubble butt. Offensive linemen love that. I'm watching that every day. Oh yeah, a He's power great. generator. The uh. the uh at the end is never. Who's not mm-hmm. watching that? That's terrific. You still have him on the hot keys in here because it's yes. great. Mayock hasn't been the GM for almost a year now. <laughs> I haven't heard Ziegler say anything that it, <laughs> that would that make it as right. good. As... I don't want to watch Ziegler on TV. No. I want to watch Bubble Butt Mike Mayock. <laughs> Great. Let's go to the first. Let's go. The first bite. The first bite is brought to you by Rent for a Year. <laughs> you want to win t- fifteen thousand dollars? You it could be rent our mortgage for a year. ESPN Las Vegas and Aaron Taylor, the real estate guy, are coming together to give you the chance to win fifteen k to cover your rent our mortgage, or just do whatever you want to do with it. All you got to do is go to lbsportsnetwork.com today and enter for your chance to win fifteen thousand dollars. Must be eighteen. 18- Years old or must be 18 or older to enter. Complete rules available at lvsportsnetwork.com. Should Max Crosby be the defensive player of the year? We got to shorten that. Press box transition. We got to shorten that a little bit. Uh. Press box transition. Yeah, me reading is never going to be a good segment on the show. Here's my genuine question. Sorry, Aaron Taylor. How is Max Crosby this good? I don't know because he's really the only guy on that defense that you would right? point to, and it's almost like he's not on. It's not that he's not on film, and other <laughs> and other teams could say maybe we should stop that guy, and they kill, and they still can't stop him. And the Seattle game, 
Max Crosby made two massive plays on third downs to kill Seattle drives, right? Seattle's uh, final drive of regulation. They had a chance to win the game. Max Crosby gets a sack or had the quarterback hurry on third down that forced Geno Smith to throw it straight out of bounds, right? Effectively, it was a sack. It ended the drive. And then in overtime, when Seattle got the ball, he does the same thing again. Like he's getting to Geno Smith on the two biggest third downs of the game for the defense, preventing the Seahawks from getting a chance to win the game with a field goal in either scenario and getting the offense, the ball back. He's been incredible. And I don't, I don't understand how he's this good when offensively, do I have to plan for anybody else to do anything? That, no, that's that's the point. Like I said, he's on film. You can't realize that he's the one guy that makes plays on that defense. They on I think it was the third down in overtime that Crosby forced the throw away. Yes, it he was. Had, he had one on one. Yes, the, the they were just like, yeah, we'll yeah. leave him one on one with our right tackle. I'm like, why? Yeah, what do? What are you doing? Well, Chandler Jones had recovered a fumble earlier he did. in the game, so they're probably the thinking, "No, he's back." He's fell back. on a fell on a ball that the quarterback and running back yes. just dropped. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like, in all seriousness, if you're game planning against the Raiders, why are you not double teaming this guy on every yes. single snap? Like, what what are you worried about? Chipping him. Like, what is there to be worried about that's not Max Crosby? If if Chandler Jones eventually makes a bunch of plays in a game, then I might change my my blocking scheme and be like, all right, maybe we need to worry about him single coverage and we might need right. to help on Chandler right. Jones. But that hasn't happened. Like we're still waiting around for Chandler Jones to actually have a good game. So I Max Crosby's been unbelievable. And he's been unbelievable in big moments too. Been yes. unbelievable when it's like, hey, you can get off the field, you can get the ball back for your offense in a go win the game scenario. And He's been great at it, and he's got ten and a half sacks this season. We've talked about it. We're we're almost into December. Nobody else has more than one on this roster. We're almost into December, and not a single player, not named Max Crosby, has, has more, more than, than one a sack. single sack. And he's got ten and a half. It's unbelievable how good he is compared to the rest of his yeah. teammates. So on the defensive player of the year conversation, um. Should that be taken into account? How good your teammates are? We we do this a lot in like NBA MVP discussions, right? Like who's your teammates around you? We do this probably more with quarterbacks and MVP discussions too. But should that come into account for defensive players when it's like, all right, he might not have the best stats at the end of the year. He might be third or fourth best by stats, but should it come into account that, oh, Tyler Hall is tied for second on the team in sacks with one. Hey, he just got promoted, I think. He did. Come on, stop it. Stop it. He's in the active roster. Yeah, I think it should be considered, of course. If you know anything about this defense and you've watched this defense all year and he's the only one playing well, why wouldn't it be considered? I mean, Micah Parsons is a great player. He's on, you know, one of, if not the best defenses in the NFL. Right. I mean, he, he the other guys get a lot of attention. If Micah Parsons doesn't make a play... The Cowboys still have a really good shot to stop the opponent. If Max Crosby doesn't make a play, they're running 65 yards for a touchdown. You're kind of just hoping that there's an incomplete pass somewhere. Like it's, it's crazy to me. And the other thing um, I would love to see the stat. I know somebody keeps it, but I don't know if it's like public uh, for everybody to see. I would love to see the stat on 
opponents rushing when they run towards Max Crosby's side of the ball versus Comparative when they to run when they the run away from him. And because, I think he's become a much better run stopper. Because anecdotally, right? Again, I don't have any numbers on this, and I'd love to actually see what they are. But anecdotally, I feel like every game, the opponent will run the ball towards Max Crosby's side like four or five times and get nothing. Yep. And then they'll have one run the opposite way for like 15 yards. And I'm like, they should probably just run that way the entire yes. game. Like, throw out whatever game plan or scheme you had. Just don't run at Max Crosby. I don't know if the stats back that up, but that's what it feels like watching the game. Well, it also feels like a lot of the times, no matter if they run into his side or not, he runs down the play. Yes. Oh. I mean, he, he even if it's run away from him, he's involved in the tackle. He's incredible. And here, okay, here's the other part of that game against Seattle that I think was was a big deal. Because the Raiders won, we did not really talk about Josh McDaniel's decision-making in that game because I think he made a lot of bad decisions. But there were two decisions late in the game that Max Crosby effectively bailed him out for. One was tie game, 40 seconds left, two timeouts, and Josh McDaniels ran the clock out, right? Decided, nope, we're, we're going to run the clock out. We're not even going to try to get in a field goal range. And that sent them into overtime. We get into overtime. Raiders win the toss. They get the ball first. And on a fourth and two, Josh McDaniels chose to kick a 56-yard field goal. First possession, so it doesn't win the game, right? If you miss it, Seattle gets the ball back anyways. If you make it or miss it, they get the ball back. Yeah, they get the ball back. And Josh McDaniels doesn't try to go for it to try to keep the ball, try to either A, at least get closer for a field goal, or B, more importantly, go score a touchdown and win the game. So Seattle gets the ball back at midfield. Seattle needs like 20 yards, and they're going to kick a game-winning field goal. And on that third down, Max Crosby bails the coaching staff out by getting that pressure on Geno Smith and forcing him to throw it away and getting the punt back to the Raiders. And then Jacob scored on the next play from 86 yards. He, I think he bailed out some bad coaching decisions from Josh McDaniels by coming up with those two yeah. big plays late to prevent Seattle from winning the game. I guess I had more of a problem on the fourth and two in OT than I did running it out, given where they were on the field. You didn't think they should have taken a shot? Four, 40 seconds, uh, two timeouts. You, need, you needed about 50 yards. Oh, nine. You needed about 50 yards to, to be in field goal range. We were sitting there discussing in the press box, um, a bunch of us, and I don't know if we had as big a problem with that. The fourth and two, absolutely. As good as Daniel Carlson is, at that point, I think you're just getting caught up in how good Daniel Carlson this has been, and you just expect him... You expect him to make everything. Right. And if that had been their second possession in overtime and Carlson making the field goal. Won it. When the game is over, you win the game right there. I think that's a little bit different. But when, hey, Carlson makes the 56-yarder, oh, Seattle gets the ball anyway. Or if he misses it, they get it at midfield. Right. That, to me, is sort of an obvious you you should be going for this situation. Because, again, a touchdown ends the game. The field goal from Carlson doesn't. Right. I, here, here's the thing with not trying to score with 40 seconds left. You have Derek Carr, Devontae Adams. Like, that's you You went out of your way to get Devontae Adams this offseason, and you gave Derek Carr an extension, even though they can get out of it after this year. You should be in a situation where you're trying to win the game. Like, the comparison is always, to me, what is Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs doing in that scenario? They're going, uh, to try they're, to going the they're going to try to right. get Kelsey or somebody open. They're not handing the ball off to Isaiah Pacheco and running the clock out. And I know it's not the Kansas City Chiefs, but I would like to think, hey, we're going to try to do this. And then the other small point, uh, they're not going to the playoffs. Like they're, they're not 
the seasons I shouldn't say over, but the seasons I don't know if he thinks in those terms. That's that's true. But like this is when you should be more aggressive than you than ever. Is hey, what like what do you have to lose? Oh no, we're three and nine now. Like, who cares? Like, go for it. Like if you what are you worried about? Cars throwing a pick or something like that? I don't know. Okay, well, let me ask you this one. What did you think about his end of the first half decision to kick the field goal? I didn't on like that at down? all. I would have taken another shot at the end zone. <sighs> Man. And throw it to the end zone where your guy gets it or it goes out of bounds. Don't force it because that would be silly and you throw another pick, it'd be his third pick of the half. But I did not like that. 14 seconds 14, left. 14, yeah. You take a shot. And and you're on, what were they, on the 14-yard line yeah, too, Yeah, you take right? a shot. It's not like they're on the 36 no. or something. Like, no, he's going to throw it into the end zone. You're on the 14, and yeah. and I, McDaniel's talked about it on Monday or Tuesday whenever he talked last, and he sort of tried to explain away, like, well, if we get sacked, uh, the half is over, we don't get any points, uh, the defense knows we have to throw it to the end zone. We'll have so, a quarterback who's smart enough to throw it away. Exactly. Might throw a pick, and I'm like, that sounds like you don't trust your quarterback. Right. Right. That sounds like you don't trust your quarterback to get the snap and understand, if there's any right. pressure at all, I need to throw this thing out of the back of the end zone. And I think he has a smart enough quarterback right. to know that. I mean, the guy's right. been around nine years. He, he's not. I. It would be shocking if he took a sack at that point. Yeah. We've seen him do it on fourth down. <laughs> he knows how to do it. True. That was like two years ago, Jared. <laughs> Maybe three at this point. Um, so it still was one of the most preposterous things I've ever seen. Threw it away on fourth down. Always smart. Um, so yeah, there were a few decisions in that game that were very questionable um, from Josh McDaniels, but they won the game. Largely because of Max Crosby being tremendous on defense. Also, because Josh Jacobs decided he's going right. to go 86 yards. Yeah, he called game. Touchdown. Uh, but I think Max Crosby deserves to be in that discussion for defensive player Oh, he player absolutely of the year. needs to be in discussion. And I'm very curious to see if at the end of the year it's like, well, he doesn't have quite the same numbers as whoever ends up winning Miles the award. Garrett, Aaron, yeah, Donald. But I do wonder how much it would come into play. Well, yeah, his teammates are terrible. Like... Right. Everybody around him is bad. So of and if anyone's pa- anyone with votes are paying attention, they that better that. become into oh, a situation. Yeah, fully aware. All right, coming up next, we'll jump back into some UNLV football because their chances to go to a bowl game took a small hit yesterday. Live from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Grady and Bishop. I get the impression that you don't respect me as a producer. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to give you that impression. I should have been more clear. I 100% don't respect you as a producer or as a man. I guess I don't respect you in totality. On ESPN Las Vegas. UNLV football doesn't have a coach, but they could be going to a bowl game, which would be tremendous fun. Uh, We have broken this down, but they uh, need either Buffalo to lose a makeup game on Saturday, they're playing Akron or New Mexico Valpo. State to lose to Valpo or New Mexico State to not get a waiver from the NCAA. New Mexico State uh, would need a waiver to be bowl eligible at six and six. The bad news for UNLV is that New Mexico State did schedule a game yesterday. They're going to play Valpo on Saturday. New Mexico State's five and six. If they win this game, they would be six and six and could jump UNLV and bowl eligibility, it still could because you can't have two FCS teams on your, well, you can't beat two FCS teams and have that count towards bowl eligibility. This would be the second FCS win for New Mexico State, so they'd need a waiver 
from the NCAA. But there will be a New Mexico State game. So UNLV's bowl eligibility means Saturday you should be watching Buffalo Akron and New Mexico State Valpo. <laughs> if you can find it <laughs> on your local channels. I think uh, you and I are talking during the break. I think they should get the waiver. Um, we know why the San Jose State uh, game was canceled because of the death of the San Jose State player, which was tragic. But if you're New Mexico State, you have to go to the insane and say, we can't control that. Obviously, no one wants to control anything like that. Um, it wasn't our doing or our fault that the game wasn't played. So I think they should get the waiver. Yeah, I, I, I really do. I think they should get the waiver. And if they beat Valpo, I think they should be six and six. Yeah, I I agree from the standpoint that New Mexico, if we're talking about like who deserves bull eligibility and all no. that, yeah. New Mexico State getting to six and six with an extra game, even if it's against an FCS opponent, is probably more deserving than a five and seven UNLV yeah. team, right? Like that's probably the the fair way to look at it when you're a team that finished five and six. And the only reason you didn't get to play that extra game is because it got canceled uh, with nothing. It wasn't like your control. Then you should probably get it. Now. I think you can make the argument that if they play their schedule as normal, they don't beat San Jose state and they're five and seven right now, but they didn't get the opportunity to, yeah, at least they didn't get the chance to play the game. So unless San Jose State was getting on a bus or a plane to come and play in New Mexico this weekend. That wasn't happening. Yeah, they're not going to get that opportunity to play the same team. So Valpo, it is. So those will be the um, the most important games in UNLV football season are Buffalo, Akron, and New Mexico State Valpo. I think Akron is, shall I say, not good. One and nine, Yeah, so I don't believe. be counting on Buffalo losing that game. Yeah, Buffalo's. They're literally waiting good. around for a waiver. Both teams are. New Mexico's waiting around the waiver to see if they beat Valpo and Val, Valpo and they get to six six. UNLV's waiting around hoping they don't get the waiver. Right, exactly. That's that's what this will come down to. And I wonder if you are like the way this process works, I'm guessing they won't make a decision on the waiver until after New Mexico State plays right. the game. Sure. Right. Because yeah. if they if they were to lose then it doesn't matter. There is no waiver. And UNOV is going to go because of the APR. Right. But if I so I'm guessing we won't know until Sunday? I mean, obviously, we we would know if New Mexico State lost because then right. they're, they're exactly. not eligible. But we probably won't know until Sunday if UNLV is going to a bowl game. And honestly, maybe even after that. But, yeah, that's the uh, most important games in UNLV football is four teams that aren't actually good at football <laughs> <laughs> that are not UNLV at all, not even Mountain West teams. But that's uh, what's going to determine if they go to a bowl game without a head coach or not. Um, have you? Do you have any names that we should be talking about? Any any coach candidates you want to throw out there as important or possible or interesting? Uh, heard Deion Sanders and Sam Gordon wrote this morning, and I, I think I agree. You know, Sam Sam wrote this morning. We're going to talk to Sam at nine thirty. I think you have to pick up the phone. Might be a one-minute conversation, might be a 20-minute conversation, but I, th I do think you should pick up the phone and see his interest. Uh, heard We've heard Gary Patterson. Sam also had in there uh, Kevin Sumlin, uh, Mike Stoops. Anyone with Kansas State or Arizona ties, I think you can look at as possible candidates because those are kind of the coaching tree, you know. Uh, Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards. Oh, Herm Edwards. Did you hear him? No, but he went oh, at Arizona <laughs> State. He's at Arizona State? Yeah. Um, so Harper played at Kansas State, um, 
it was, I think, the football operations director under Mike Stoops at Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. So he knows people at both schools. So you kind of look at those. I do know there's a connection uh, with a friend of his through Gary Patterson. Um, that's a good friend with Cat- Gary Patterson and a uh, person Harper trusts. So, yeah. Would you would you call Deion Sanders? I don't know if Deion Sanders answers. But would you? Yes. But would you dial his number? Yes. Yeah, I would too. That if I was every hiring... day, I would. I, if I had Deion Sanders' number, <laughs> I would just him call him to be like. Just trying to get him on the show. No, I would just be calling him to be like, all right, just talk to me about anything. <laughs> you are a very, very, very fun person. <laughs> so, Deion, if you're UNLV. Deion Sanders should probably be the number one coach you try to hire because Deion Sanders, first off, has Jackson State at 12 and 0. Since right. he took over at Jackson State, they have been excellent at football. And recruiting. he's been good at recruiting too there as well. Yeah, he's been really good. He beat Saban on a kid. Football wise, Deion Sanders looks like he can do it at a place where there's not exactly a lot of resources. Now, to be fair, he's going up against other SWAC schools that right, also don't right. have the same resources as the Power Five, but he looks like he can do a really good job uh, with less, basically. But even regardless of that, the non-football side of this, if you hire Deion Sanders, you are on SportsCenter that day. Yes. You yes. are on ESPN on yep. a regular base. Jackson State got college game day this yes. year. yeah. Now, their football team is good, but also because Deion Sanders. Right. If he wasn't the coach there, they could be 12-0 and and college game day was not going. Right. So, should you be hiring a coach simply because he brings you exposure? Probably not. But Mm. UNLV, this would be, like, we've talked about this. What is UNLV known for? What does UNLV get headlines for? Not here in Vegas, but across the country, across the college football world. The last, like, five years. Slot machine. Losing to Howard. Max Gillum goes on a yacht show and eats sushi off a model. They have a slot machine on the sideline and they fired their coach after going five and seven. Those are, those are like the four key moments of UNLV football for the national media, for the national landscape of college football. Those aren't exactly good, right? I mean, the slot machine's fun, but those aren't exactly like, well, two of the four aren't even about on the field, right? If you hire Deion Sanders, that probably wipes out everything else. So, I'm calling Deion Sanders, and like Jared said, I'm probably calling him every day. Even when he says no, it's like, look, I know you said no, but let's talk. You think about it again. And here's the other. That's what I'd be doing if I was UNLV. If I'm Deion Sanders, there's probably no way I'm taking the UNLV job. Not with the other offers that are come to him. I I think I'd even stay at Jackson State over UNLV. Waiting for better offers yeah. or just because you're comparing the two? Yeah, I mean, just comparing the two. Like, I believe his salary is $600,000 at Jackson State, which he would get a raise here, right? right. They, just, they were just paying Arroyo 1.5, so he would get a raise here, but $600,000 to 1.5 when you're taking over a program where coaches are just three to five years and then you're done because you can't win here. Right. I would stay at Jackson State and take a job that I could think I could actually win at in the course of three to five years and either keep that job or get a better or one. Or get a better that. one. I will say, is there something to the fact that didn't he go on a podcast and basically say, like, oh, I got offered this job? Colorado. Yes. Yes. Is there something to the fact that he may want to actually stay at... Jackson State? Like, Ed, well, 
the fact that it's an HBCU seems to re- be really, really, really important to him. So it's almost like every time he gets a job offer, he kind of wrecks it by being like, yeah, they offered me a job. Yeah. Colorado, he said the other day, I had to be happy with that. I'd also offer him a job and tell him to tell the entire media that it, we offered him a job. That way we get more publicity for it. That, that <laughs> actually... Eric Harper is now talking to the media today. At 10:30. Right. Um, he has so one announcement. Hey, uh, he has one announcement to make. Hey, Coach Prime, uh, I got Mike Romala with me in the room. Uh, <laughs> all right, coming up next, Q joins the show as we jump back into the Raiders. Nobody's as frustrated as I am. You know, this is not where we wanted to be at this this time in the season. None of us thought it was going to be like that, and that responsibility is fully on me. I want to be the one that uh, can do everything to help this football team because we as a group have to come together and find a way to win a football game. And uh, we can't play the way that we played last week, uh, the, yesterday and expect to win a football game. So it starts with me from the preparation, practice preparation, every single thing that we do. I'm the most frustrated. I think our fans are great. I mean, they want to win just like we all do. So, I, I mean, I don't blame them for being frustrated. And uh, for me, all I know is to work, put my head down with our staff. I believe in this staff, believe in these players. And uh, we got to get better plays, better execution across the board. We are back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. You can hear him over on Raider Nation Radio. Joining us now is Q. Q, how are you? By the way, Q, since you've been here, well, in the last, like, year, Raiders, Golden Knights, and UNLV football have all fired their coaches. Is it is it a you problem? <laughs> yeah. So I'm the reason, huh? I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what we're breaking this down to. Because that's all happened rather quickly. I'm just saying. Maybe well, it's you. You know... I'll say this, when I was in Central Texas, there was a lot of coaching turnover as well. You know, <laughs> Baylor, obviously, Art Bryles and that whole situation. Well. <laughs> Before I left, Kim Mulkey left. Um, let's see. There's all kinds of – so there's that. But also, Scott Drew won a championship. Kim Mulkey won a championship. Matt Rule got Baylor to the Sugar Bowl. So I guess that's saying that good things are on the way. Well, the Aces won the title here, so yeah. you, got, you, go. you got one championship. All right, so it's so basically, if Q's around, you're either winning it all or you're or firing you're fired. your coach. You're getting fired. <laughs> all right. No one that between. That could go through for radio guys as well, right? <laughs> hey, hey, Q, before we get to the Raiders, before you came on, we were talking about UNLV. I want to ask you something. What about, uh, what about Prime on the Strip? Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't that be fantastic? That would be That would be awesome. I will say this, though. Uh, and and I can I couldn't imagine what that would look like. I could see him riding up and down the strip in a four wheeler or something, you know, <laughs> just like he did at that uh, Jackson State game when they had game uh, game day. It called game day there. But uh, I can say this, and I asked you about uh, coaches that you had talked about, and you know, you start throwing some names around, and uh, Gary Patterson was one. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing, I'm hearing Gary Patterson more and more. And I, I would be excited by that if you know, we were to get Gary Patterson. Well, let me ask you this on, on a Gary Patterson, because there have been names like that that have coached big-time college football. Would a Gary Patterson, him, or just somebody that has a resume like him, would they take the UNLV job? Like, it's not normally a position that somebody like Gary Patterson has taken in the past. Right, exactly. And I actually asked a couple of my, my friends that are there in, uh, in, in Fort Worth that, you know, obviously covered Gary for a long time, and they said his desire is a Power 5 program, obviously. But he wants to get back into coaching, and maybe that can get him back on the sidelines. And then it wouldn't be something – it'd be like a Matt Rule-type situation where he's not going to be around for long, but long enough to try to get things turned around and then uh, make that – turn that into a, a big-time program or, you know, turn that into a big Power 5 job. So I guess for the short term, probably it could happen. 
All right. On the Raiders, we were talking about this earlier. Max Crosby is going to be in the discussion for defensive player of the year. Um, should it be taken into account how good or bad somebody's teammates are when we talk about defensive player of the year? You know, I honestly think it should. I think, it, I mean, and, and I know Raider fans aren't going to want to hear that, but it also kind of goes to let you know how big of an impact that player has on the team. You know, and, and my example of that is when Khalil Mack won Defensive Player of the Year, he helped close out games for the Raiders. I mean, they made the playoffs in 2016, and he was the big reason why. I mean, he didn't have statistically the best numbers, but you remember those big moments that he had, the interception uh, against Cam Newton where he took it to the end zone, uh, strip sacks to end the game. I mean, moments that he closed. Like Sunday, Max Crosby closed the game, right? He gave the Raiders uh, offense another opportunity. So that was one of those moments that stood out. Like, when you knew you need to have it the most, he did. Now, if he was able to help them pull out a few more, uh, you know, a few, few more wins like that, um, then I can say that he'd definitely be in the conversation. But I think that I think that win losses should should have a little bit to do with it, at least. How how is this happening? Ten and a half sacks. No one else has more than one. Uh, it's like the other team don't. How is he have, not triple teamed yes, every play? Exactly. Too, right? It's like how the other team teamed? doesn't have film. They like lose the film each week. Yeah, and that's that's what blows my mind is I, I wouldn't let that guy beat me, right? Or at least if I'm the coach, I'd say, hey, don't let that guy beat you. Make one of those other dudes, the half-sackers, make them, you know, get to you. If they can do it, then you tip your cap. But Max is just – he's on another – on a level, level right now. So when you look at the numbers, it's so impressive to know that he continues to get better and better and better even after getting the big-time contract. So I'm impressed by what I see from Max. I just realized that, man – He's not going to get that that uh, that nod just because the Raiders aren't winning enough. Q with us from Raider Nation Radio. You can hear him on Unnecessary Roughness uh, every afternoon. Um, what do you think happens with Josh Jacobs this offseason? Do you think they would consider franchise tagging him, or do you think it's just, hey, he's going to walk because they didn't commit to him this previous offseason? I think, and it's funny that you asked. We've been talking about this a lot on Raider Nation Radio. I think that they have to franchise tag him. I don't think you can allow him to get out of the building, right? I mean, I think it's okay to make a uh, make a – statement and say, hey, you know, we made a mistake, right? We didn't pick up the fifth-year option. We didn't know that you were going to do what you've done. But just can't let that guy go. I mean, he's more than a running back, in my opinion. He's also a big-time leader. He's a guy that went out there with the calf injury where a lot of people thought he wasn't even going to play because of that. And, and look, he's already done enough on on film where he can get a nice contract extension from somewhere in the offseason. He said, no, I'm going to go out there and ball out and do everything I can to help this team win. And course he puts up a career a career game that you know is one for the ages franchise breaking uh, career game so I, I just I don't think that they can allow him to get out of the building I honestly and this was my suggestion was thinking that Dave Ziegler and company should start you know start those conversations right now even though we know his agent will say no just shut them down don't don't have any conversation right now you're gonna get the bag um, I, I just my gut feeling tells me he stays and he plays with the Raiders next season I just don't know what that contract's gonna look like would you Expect them to do a contract like they've kind of done with Derek and and Devontae where he is a running back. We know how quickly things can change there. And, yes, he gets paid, but they can get out of it fast in in case something happens like, you know, off and do with running backs. Oh, absolutely. I think there's no doubt about it. I think it's something that you'll see very front-loaded. You know, and I think the one good thing about the the, uh, uh, the fifth-year option not being picked up is now that they can really structure a contract in the way that they'd like, right? Like I said, very front uh, heavy, you know, give them a lot of different signing bonuses and give them like a four-year deal that's ultimately basically a two-year deal. And after that, it's a wrap. And, and that kind of goes and lines up with the rest of the deals, you know, the Devontae deal, Derek's deal, 
uh, all, all the other Darren's deal, Hunter's deal, they all have kind of that three-year window. So if you give him a contract extension and it's ultimately a two-year deal at the end of the day, it all lines up with that three-year window. So I think that that would be fair. I think that'd be a good approach actually to do it. Hey, boss, why is uh, Geno Smith your comeback player of the year? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why Geno Smith is the comeback player of the year, but he's he's doing it. He's that guy. Now, of course, he didn't have a stellar game against the Raiders, but uh, he didn't have a bad game either. I never thought. I mean, look, I covered Geno when he was at West Virginia, and that was the last time I, I sang his praises. He's done absolutely nothing in the league. And then all of a sudden this year, Pete Carroll puts his trust in him and says, oh, yeah, we're going to roll with uh, Geno Smith, or we're going to roll with uh, uh, Drew Locke. And I'm thinking, yeah, right, whatever. Just neither one of those guys is going to get it done. <laughs> and Geno's really just balled out and been under control, man, and just it's, it's unbelievable. So, yeah, I think that he's definitely not only going to be the comeback player of the, the year, but I think you want to talk about guys earning a contract. I think he's earned a big-time bag from somebody, whether it's the, the Seahawks or some other team that needs a quarterback. Now, I don't, I'm not saying he can. he's going to be able to repeat this, but he's going to get paid this offseason. It's going to be interesting to see who does it. Are you annoyed at all that anytime you mention Geno Smith on your show, you just get Geno texted to you? Yes. <laughs> yes. Who's that? You, Jared? You. Is that Jared? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Geno and then Jared texts me. He's so happy about that. But, uh, again, man, I just I get annoyed that I can't believe I'm singing his praises because forever we've been saying that he's – He's just a guy, you know, and all of a sudden now he's a guy that they're winning because of instead of despite of. All right, you can hear Q over on Raider Nation Radio every day from 2 to 5, uh, Unnecessary Roughness. Q, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Q. Take care. Hey, no problem. Hey, before I let you go, or you let me go, are, are, are the, is the USA winning on Saturday, Tyler? Obviously. The, Q, they're going to win the World Cup. Oh. Hey, I just had to hear it from you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Q. Thanks, Q. See ya. Of course they're going to win the World Cup. Right now, by the way, uh, we got two games going on, almost halftime, scoreless in both. Australia, Denmark, France, Tunisia. Uh, the Australia-Denmark game is probably a winner advances type game. Uh, Australia would advance if they draw, unless Tunisia upsets France. Uh, but that, eh, it's scoreless right now, but that's probably is still France even good. trying? Uh, I haven't been paying as much attention to this game while trying to do a radio show, so I don't know, but I think France not trying Who? still probably beats Tunisia. Who is the guy that keeps zooming in on in uh, this Tunisia I'm guessing game? the Tunisia coach. Well, then he is very sweaty and in a kit. <laughs> oh, he was wearing a jersey. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't been Is a guy with long no, uh, he curly is, hair? No, he's bald, completely ah. bald, and they keep zooming in on him, and he looks like he's about 50, and he's just dying out there. My favorite player they zoom in on, if they zoom in on, is for France, um, is Matteo Ganduzzi because he just has a wild mess of hair. And he's very sweaty all the time. It's very good. <laughs> Not as good as the crowd shots, though. The crowd shots are always the best at the World Cup. All right, coming up next, the college football playoff. We're so close to knowing who's playing for the championship. I mean, with this new injury time, counting every second, it's, it's stressful. I think I have less hair on my head now. But um, we'll, we'll take it, and we'll move on and, and go battle hard. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Today I will be out at Parkway Tavern in the district as Mexico tries to get out of their group. They take on Saudi Arabia at 11. Also, Argentina plays Poland at the same time. Uh, all four teams in that group are still alive. So coming out to Parkway Tavern in the district, all that brought to you by Finley Toyota in the Valley Auto 
Mall. Uh, we have the top six in the college football playoff poll with one week left. Your top four are Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. Number five is Ohio State, and number six is Alabama. It doesn't appear as though anybody after those six has any shot at going to the college football playoff. So, with one week left, Ed, only a few games on the schedule. Ohio State and Alabama don't even play. What four teams are going to be in the college football playoff? Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and USC. Oh, you have been predicting yes, TCU's downfall yes. this entire time. I think they're I think I really think as good a season as they've had, they need the excuse to get them out, and the excuse would be lost to Kansas State, and I think Kansas State's gonna beat them. All right. Let me give you the that exact so weird. the exact <laughs> opposite. Kansas State can knock someone out of anything. Let me give you the exact opposite here. TCU is going to the college football playoff no matter what Even happens. if they lose because they got to their conference championship? No matter what happens. So TCU, and Alabama, and, and I'll then tell who you else? why. <laughs> Alabama. Kansas State got ranked 10th in this college football playoff poll. That is a top 10 team. If TCU loses. Oh, good loss. Good loss. They will have a loss. <laughs> To a top 10 team. And here's the thing. If Kansas State beats TCU, Kansas State's probably moving up to eight, seven, something like that. So TCU will be a one loss team who played in their conference championship. And that one loss will be to the whatever eighth best team in the country. They will be compared to Ohio State and Alabama. Alabama's a two loss team. I don't think that should even be close, to be honest with you. Ohio State's also a one-loss team, and their one loss would have been to the number two team in the country, Michigan, in this scenario. I think TCU has a better resume than Ohio State. There's a uh, metric called strength of record, which is basically how did you do against your schedule and how would other teams do against your schedule? TCU is number one in the country in strength of record, right? Because the, the thing with TCU's schedule is they don't have a bunch of the marquee wins, but the Big 12 was really deep this year. The Big 12 didn't have a lot of awful teams. So every time they beat a team, it was a decent opponent. I think TCU's in no... Obviously, if you lose like 40 to 10, that might change the discussion. But I think TCU is in no matter what. I, want, I predicted a downfall, but I want them to make it. Yeah. It's like you're hedging your emotional bets. I yes, don't know I'm what's hedging emotional there. bets. So I don't make bets. Where's the where's the degenerate? Yeah, it's your That's emotional like the, bet. It's like oh, he'll be here later. Better. If I'm they win, better. hey, TCU's in the playoff. If they lose, well, I knew they were going to lose. <laughs> That's that's what you're doing over there. So when TCU loses, that's how Alabama gets in. I don't believe Alabama no. can get in. I don't understand how you don't think that this committee is capable of the chicanery. For Alabama to get in, both USC and TCU have to lose. And the committee then has to look at TCU and Alabama and say, we like two-loss Alabama whose best win is Texas over one-loss TCU. And the only reason that TCU got that loss is because they played an extra game. And I do not believe they will do that with Alabama. Well, if USC Why? loses, they are out. Hold on. Uh, hold on. I, this, is, this is Tyler being like... Almost naive in my mind. Why? Why do you believe that they would actually... Alabama doesn't have its normal Alabama wins. When Alabama is a one-loss or when they're a two-loss team and they're in this conversation, it's because Alabama beat like two other top 10 teams. 
They do not have that. Their second best win is eight and four Mississippi I'm genuinely State. surprised that Notre Dame somehow isn't in this conversation, despite the fact that they are eight t- and four. <laughs> like the, the, the this committee has shown me year after it's a year committee. New commissioner. It does not the same people. Alabama is only going if TCU we need to bring and back Condoleezza Rice. USC lose, and even then, I think TCU's ahead of them. I j- I do not believe they will look at Alabama. There's nothing that impressive about Alabama other than beating a bunch of bad teams. Well, then how are Here's- they still ranked fifth and sixth? Well, because everybody else sucks too. Okay. Yes, they're better, they, they're better than Clemson and Penn State. They've they can't got jump. They can't jump. Let's say USC loses because they're out if they lose. Yes. Um, you don't. They, is there any conversation in the room between Ohio State and Alabama? I think they already decided it. They put by, Ohio State ahead of Alabama. By fifth and sixth yeah. yesterday. They're, what would change? Like they, those Nothing. two teams they don't, don't play. play each other. I guess if if Michigan lost to Purdue by like thirty in the Big Ten title game then maybe they'd be like, wow, that Ohio State loss to Michigan is a lot worse than we thought. Right. But Michigan's not losing to Purdue by 30 no. in the Big that, Ten that, title game. That sounds like, like something Danny would have some money on. <laughs> <laughs> I got like, Purdue in the points. <laughs> like, I yeah, I just, they've, they've basically told us like Danny. Ohio State's ahead of Alabama in this pecking order. And I believe... TCU's in the playoff, even with the law. Again, unless if they lose by like 50... Different conversation. But if Kansas State gets them by three, I think TCU is still in the college football playoff as a one-loss team whose only loss came to a top 10 team. I think that's more impressive than what Alabama's done, and I think it's slightly more impressive than what Ohio State has done. Now, USC wins, they're in. 100%. I I believe it's going to be easy for the committee. I believe all four teams in the top four win this weekend, and I believe we get Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. What? I would like to see Georgia play Ohio State and Michigan play Alabama, though. Oh, those, I love those games. Those would give us the best games. Yes. If we get Georgia, Michigan, TCU, oh, and uh, USC. So you'd get Georgia, USC, Michigan, TCU. Semifinals are 40-point yeah. blowouts. <laughs> really? Oh, God. <laughs> Not even close.